Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hebrews 7.22 By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And just as Judah looked right into the eyes of Jacob, he looks right into the eyes of Jacob, in essence he says, look, If it comes down to it, I will sacrifice myself to keep Benjamin safe, which, as we said, is more than uh, Reuben did. And just as as we can see Judah looking to the eyes of his father and saying that, in essence, I will be surety, so we can see the Lord Jesus looking right into the eyes of God the Father and taking the personal responsibility for our safety, as he said in John 6.37, John 6.37, all that the Father hath giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And then he goes on in John 6.39, John 6.39, and he says, he explains, he said, this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but that I should raise it up again at the last day. So Judah went down there to Egypt, and Judah could think about he could think about how he had made this promise, because it really was a promise, a promise to keep Benjamin safe. And he's conscious of this. He's conscious of this, just as the Lord was conscious when he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. This is the Father's will, which has sent me all that he's given me. I should lose nothing. And just as it was about the promise that Judah had made to Jacob, this is all about the promise that the Lord Jesus made to the Father. It's the same. And so all this personal guaranteeing between Judah and Jacob, we can see the Lord Jesus also in the same way with this personal guaranteeing here. We can see the Lord Jesus saying the words of verse 9 to the Father about us. He can say, I will be surety for him. Of my hand shall thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then I shall bear the blame forever. Just think of the Lord Jesus standing there before the Father and saying about us who are so lost, and we just sung about that in the, in the breaking of bread earlier. We just sung about that. And the Lord Jesus saying to the Father, I will be the guarantee for him. I'll bring him back to you safe and sound. I'll set him before you. And if I don't, I'll bear the blame forever. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Oh, then Judah said in verse 9, of my hand shalt thou require it. Now, this shows, again, this high level of responsibility that Judah has put himself under to bring Benjamin back. The term at the hand is very important in Scripture. It's used by God. He spoke of that when he said, uh, uh, you can't just kill somebody 
and just get away with it in Genesis 9.5. And he used the word at the hand in Genesis 9.5. He says, surely, surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. See, it speaks of a requirement. At the hand speaks of a requirement. And we've also seen this term before, at the hand, when Jacob was speaking about how hard Laban was on him, how hard it was for him to work for him, that every piece of livestock, every animal that was lost, that was during the time when Jacob was taking care of it, Jacob said in Genesis 31, 39, 31, 39, that which was torn of beasts, I brought not unto thee, I bear the loss of it, of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by night or stolen by day. So Jacob has used this term, of my hand, when he was with Laban. So it's very, very, very acute in Jacob's mind what that means, at the hand, as he used it there. So when Judah steps forward and uses that same term, at the hand, it's very persuasive on Jacob. And so Jacob now is yielding. Now God uses also this term at the hand, not just for murder, but also the responsibility that a watchman has. And we can see ourselves as watchmen. Watchmen in Ezekiel 33.6. In Ezekiel 33.6, it says like this. God said, but if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. It's a very, very strong. So here again, God is saying, I'm gonna require it at the hand of the watchman if you don't warn. I mean, God warned, God was warning for that, for a person to know the danger is coming. And not sound an alarm. It's very serious. So serious that God said, I'm going to hold the watchman responsible for that. And God made it clear that he's talking about warning a sinner of God's coming judgment. Because he goes on in two verses later in Ezekiel 33.8. Ezekiel 33.8. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way... That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. So there it is again, at thy hand. Where this term, at thy hand, has this great meaning for us is when we think of the time when Thomas came to the Lord Jesus Christ and he wasn't believing. But the Lord said to him in John 20, 27, the Lord said to Thomas in John 20, 27, then, then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing. So he tells Thomas to reach out his finger, touch his hand, touch his hand. He asks him that. He says, touch the hand. See the hand that bore the judgment for you. See the hand that gave the required judgment for you. It was the nail marks that showed how the judgment for our sins was required at the hands of the Lord Jesus. Now Judah then goes on and he says, if I don't do this, then let me bear the blame forever. In verse nine, then let me bear the blame forever. It's like a prophecy. It's like a prophecy here about the Jewish people and the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, how they blame, bear this blame. 
It's very interesting how it's described of bearing the blame when it says in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see a seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, first, we're told that it pleased the Lord to bruise the Lord Jesus Christ and that God put him to grief. That's astounding. That's just astounding for us. How could it please God the Father to bruise God the Son in whom he said he, said he was well pleased? It shows how much God loved us, that he wanted to save us from our sins. And, and then it puts out this great challenge to man. He said, okay, I've done my part. I bruised him. I put him to grief. Now the ball's in your court. Now it's your part. And he says, when thou shalt make uh, his soul an offering for sin. Im tasim Hashem nefsho. It says, when is the word im, if? He said, this is an if. This is a you can or you can't. It's your choice. If, if uh, you put, if you put your guilt, Hashem, your guilt on his soul. So the question for every person comes down to whether or not they will put their guilt on the soul of the Lord Jesus. And if anyone does that, then he sees his seed. He becomes a child of God. Then he gets eternal life. He'll prolong his days. And then he pleases God. Pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So it's this concept of placing personal guilt on the soul of the Lord Jesus that where the Lord Jesus bears our blame. He bears our blame. We place our guilt on him. He bears our blame. Then he's judged on the cross. And for the sins that made us guilty, he takes the guilt. But there's another aspect of when Judah said, then let me bear the blame. And that can be seen in the descendants of Judah that said to Pilate, just before he sends the Lord Jesus to be crucified, they say in Matthew 27, 25, Matthew 27, 25, then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Very tragic. But that was a very sad day for the Jewish people when they said that they would bear the blame along with all their children for the death of the Messiah. But it's this admission of this blame that will open the door of repentance and restoration of the Jewish people back to God. That's Israel's restoration. And that's given to us in Zechariah 12.10. In Zechariah 12.10, God says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness is in bitterness for his firstborn. That's gonna be the day. That's the day when the Jewish people will no longer say, the Romans killed him, the Romans killed him. But when they're gonna say, when they're gonna look on him whom they have pierced, they're gonna take the full responsibility. And at that time, they're in great danger of just sinking into despair, which God doesn't want, sinking into a state of despair from bearing all this blame for the death of the Lord. So then his abundant grace to the Jewish people comes forward in Zechariah 13.1. In Zechariah 13.1, it says, in that day, in that day, in other words, he doesn't let another day go by. God the Father says, no, in that day, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. 
So we see a prophetic meaning also behind when Judah said in verse 9, let me blame, bear the blame forever. Now it seems that, that uh, everything's going really well here and that uh, Jacob is coming right along, sort of. But then it seems like Mr. Judah is losing his patience with, with, uh, and, and he seems to snap at, at Jacob in verse 10. He, he just kind of is getting toward the end of his patience here. And he says, look, except we had lingered, surely now we had returned the second time. In other words, he's telling, he's telling his dad, quit the dilly-dallying and, and let, let, let us go. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it appears, and this is not good. I mean, Judah is short, becoming short-tempered here as, 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 with Jacob. As now he's accusing Jacob of lingering too long. We're starving to death while you're, anyway, this is a bad situation. About to get worse. This is, this is what you call an escalation of an argument between Judah and Jacob. Because what, what, what Judah is really saying here, if you had stood in our way, we'd be eating food right now. And, and so, but Jacob's also got an aching stomach. And so it's a pretty powerful argument. And so you can see, you, you can see Judah here. You can say whatever you want about Judah, but one thing is clear. He is a persuader. He's a persuader. He persu- he, remember now, he's the one who persuaded the brothers not to kill Joseph in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 37, verse 26. 37, 26, when it said, Judas said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him. He's our brother in our flesh. And his brother were content. Brothers were content. Brethren were content. So we see that Judah... He's a real persuader. He persuaded his brothers not to kill Joseph, instead to sell him for a little bit of money and so forth. And, and this, is, this is Judah here. He, he's really true to form here. And, and, and just as Jacob, he's going to prophesy later on, as I said, in, in Genesis 49, Genesis 49, 10, he's going to prophesy about Judah. And what he's going to say, he's going to say, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come nor a lawgiver between his feet until Shiloh come. But then he makes this very interesting statement about Judah because he's seen it in Judah's life. He said, unto him shall, be the, shall the gathering of the people be. Unto him, unto Judah, shall the gathering of the people be. So he realizes Judah is the leader. Judah is the one who is very persuasive. He's the one that's going to gather the Jewish people around him, just as the Lord Jesus will gather the Jewish people around him from Judah. Now, Judah refers now to the next trip to Egypt as the second time he says this in verse 10. For except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. That's a very, very important phrase, second time. It's the first reference to the second time time, the second time trip down to Egypt. Very important because everything's going to change now on this second time trip. And Stephen picked up on this term. He picked up on this term that Judas said here when he was giving his final speech before he was martyred. And Stephen picked up on Judas' use of the term second time when he said in Acts 7.13, Acts 7.13, and when Stephen said, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred were made, was made known unto Pharaoh. 
This is the great second time that, that Stephen is referring to that Judah is now mentioning. It's the second time in our history is when our, the brothers are really going to come to repentance and there's going to be this restoration, which is pivotal. So this second time prophetically is when the Jewish people are going to come to see the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They're going to see him as their shepherd. They're going to see him as their savior and as their God. And we're looking forward to that. And, and, and when, when they're going to get right behind Thomas and they're going to say, oh, my Lord and my God. Okay. Now, or, or my Savior. Anyway, whatever he said, he said, my God. Now, read now the, 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 the response. Jacob responds now in verse 11. Verse 11. <clears throat> Jacob's responding to Judah's arguments. And their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits of the land in your vessels. Carry down the man a little present, a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, almonds. Okay, what a beautiful statement here that Jacob has made. It's no longer, you remember the last verse of the last chapter, 40, 4238, Genesis 4238. We see we, Jacob is stomping his foot down there and he's saying, my son shall not go down with you. That's a different picture, all right? This is not... Jacob speaking with the tone of, I don't care what anybody says. I'm not allowing Benjamin to be taken away from me, and I don't care what the will of God is. This is not the same person. You ever been there, by the way? <laughs> you ever been there? You ever stomped your foot down and said, I will not under no circumstances over my dead body? The answer is no. Okay, well, I have. <laughs> and Jacob did. And when Jacob did that in Genesis 4238 and 4238, that was definitely good old Jacob speaking. That was Jacob from his lower nature. And every time Jacob did that, Jacob had to remember what God said to him in Genesis 3510. In Genesis 3510, where it says, And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. So every time we let our lower nature take control of us and we say, I want it, and I don't care if God doesn't want me to have it, I want it, then God says something like Genesis 35, 10 does. Thy name is Jacob, thy name shall no more be called Jacob, Israel shall be thy name, cause name. Or maybe God would say something like, your name is stubborn, your name does not be called stubborn anymore, your name shall be Christian from now on. Oh, when Jacob is acting like this, when he's acting stubborn Jacob, he's not the father who's diligently teaching his children, as it says in Deuteronomy 6, diligently teaching his children to follow God. And this shows the beauty of verse 11 here, because that's all changed now. And now Jacob has yielded to God, and he's being a good father to his children. He's teaching them by his actions how to yield to God. And that's why it says in verse 11, and their father Israel said, it's no longer Jacob speaking now. Now it's Israel said. This is not the bullheaded Jacob speaking. This is now the spirit-controlled Israel speaking. And he's being the father to his children that they need to see. And he's under the control of the spirit of God. And so what does he say in verse 11? If it must be so now. This statement is not a statement from a man who said in the previous chapter, I said my son should not go down and, I can't, and I'm not going to change what I said. That would have been wrong for Jacob 
to take that position. But now he's changed in verse 11 when he said, if it must be so now. So now we see in Jacob an example for us. He's an example for us to follow. There's a sweet spirit of reasonableness now with him. There's a willingness to change his mind and purpose. And this is what we see here in verse 11. Their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now. In verse 13, take also your brother. And most notably, in verse 14, and God Almighty give you mercy. The spirit-controlled Israel accepts the will of God, repents and reverses his course of stubbornness, and then goes to prayer asking for God for mercy, asking God for mercy. In contrast to the previous chapter where it was, where it was the stomping of the feet and no, I will not let Benjamin go. See, that was the person named Jacob speaking. He represents the lower nature that wants his way. And here we see at verse 11, the person Israel speaking who represents a spirit-controlled nature that accepts and yields to God's will and then trusts God for a good outcome, in this case, to take care of Benjamin. It's the same person. It's the same person with two natures. 42, chapter 42, it's the flesh-controlled, lower nature named Jacob that's speaking. 43, it's the spirit-controlled nature named Israel that's speaking. Same person. Same person, just a question of which one's in control. Who's controlling these words? Is it Jacob or is it Israel? And the same's true of us. We are one person, but just like Jacob, we have two natures. We have a lower nature like a Jacob, and we have a higher nature like an Israel. And this up and down seesaw, this back and forth tug of war between our two natures, which in the New Testament are called the law of the mind, and the law of sin, it's frustrating. It was frustrating for Jacob, it's frustrating for us. And this very frustration is what's addressed in Romans 7.15. Romans 7.15 is just addressing this frustration because these are the words it says there. For that which I do, I allow not. And what I would, that I, do I not. And what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent that the law is good. Now, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me and my flesh dwelleth no good, flesh, no, no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. And the evil that I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that what, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight, and here's what he calls it, for I, he doesn't say Jacob, he says, and Jacob in Israel, he says, for I delight in the law of God, that's Israel, after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, that's Jacob, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Jacob and Israel are at war with each other in the same person. And just as the law of sin and the law of God are at war inside of us. Now, God knows we have this problem. God knows we have this internal struggle and it's going on with us. And so he says to us in Galatians 5.16, Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk as Israel and you will not be like Jacob. Jacob. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.